Well, good morning, good morning. It's so great to see everybody here. Um, let's greet each other with the greeting that Christians have been using for a very long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you, thank you. Let's take a moment and pray really quick, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for gathering us here together in your presence. Lord, we ask that you would be here among us, knowing that you have promised to do so. So, Father, I pray that you will bless our time together. Bless our worship in song. Bless our worship through giving. Bless our worship through your word. And may you, above all, be glorified in everything we say and do today. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're very thankful for Doug and Mary this morning, and they are leading us in the song portion of our worship. So we are, you are invited to stand and join us as you're able and uh, maybe willing, <laughs> and, um, and join us as we lift our voices in worship to God.
without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus show my hope and stay and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus show my hope and stay and Lord I Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace. That taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear 
As promised, good to me, His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be, as long as life endures. My chains are Father, how amazing is your grace, Lord. We just thank you so much, Lord, for another day, uh, for everything you continue to give us, continue to provide, Father, that, uh, that even in the midst of uh, all things, Lord, you continue to always show your presence here to us. We thank you so much, Jesus. Lord, we ask that uh, today, um, as Pastor Judy preaches, that you would uh, open our hearts, open our ears, Lord. Uh, just deliver that message to us, Lord. We know that uh, you speak to all of us in different ways, Father. So speak to us all today in, uh, in those ways, Lord. Just open our hearts and allow us to get from this message uh, what, uh, what you're trying to show us today, Lord. We thank you so much. And we just continue to worship you, Lord. And we continue to thank you for our grace. And Lord, uh, and we continue to have gratitude for everything you give us, Lord. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Please pass the grace amongst yourselves. <laughs> you know, I've said this before, and Rich mentions it too. I love hearing people talking to each other, fellowshipping with each other, passing the peace between yourselves. It is, I, I don't know, there's something about it I just love. It just encourages me so much. Hey, hang on, Mary's a little shorter than me. There we go. That's better. <laughs> anyway, um, we do have a couple of announcements this morning that we want to make you aware of. The first one is this Wednesday, coming up just in a couple of days, our Bible quizzing starts. So if you have kids kindergarten through, is it sixth grade? Thank you. Thank, thank you, Katie. She's, she's my wingman back there. 
You didn't say it? Who said it? Oh, Donna. Here I'm giving Katie credit, sorry, sorry. But um, if you have children, kindergarten through sixth grade, who would like to participate in Bible quizzing, that's going to start this Wednesday at 5.30. Um, and then September 17th, two weeks from today, we are going to be having our church birthday party. It is our 23rd birthday, right? 23rd, Deb? Yep, okay. 23rd birthday, and so we're really excited to be celebrating that together. Um, and it will be immediately after our second service. Um, do, Deb, did we want to say anything about if people were willing to bring things? Yes. <laughs> okay. So if you're willing to bring something for that, that, that time that we're together, the, it's kind of more of a picnic. It's going to be outside. Um, should we let the office know? You can write it on a green card that's in the back, or um, if you have that message or any other message you want to get to the church office, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect. Um, and whether it's about the, the church birthday or you have a need, a prayer need that you would like the, the pastoral staff to know about or just something fantastic that's happened you just want to share, um, you can use that link or use the green cards in the back and drop it in the box. And also if you're giving this morning, you can either go to livinghope.info slash give or you can put it in an envelope that's in the back and drop it in the box. Either way. Either way works. Okay. <sighs> I'm really glad to be here this morning, <laughs> and um, I'm actually really excited to be introducing the next book that we're going to be going through as a church, as a body, and that's the book of Acts, okay? But before we get too far into anything, um, I want to take a look at the Bible Projects video so that we can familiarize ourselves with the topic for this morning. So I, I don't know, I love these videos. I know Rich uses them often, Pastor Rich uses them, and I've really, really come to appreciate the knowledge that they give us. It's, um, it's tremendous. So let's go ahead and watch that video. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continued the story in a second volume. Called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. 
but the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community, but the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement, with many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes, Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus' kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. Okay, well there's a lot in there. Um, in that video. We're not going to get to all of that today, I promise. Um, I know <laughs> we only have so much time, so I promise we won't get to all of that. Um, but we are going to look first at the first two chapters, focusing primarily really on Pentecost. It's not Pentecost Sunday today. It would have been great if it had worked out that way, wouldn't it? <laughs> but it didn't, and that's okay. But let's start with a little bit of background. Like the the video mentions the post-resurrected Jesus, okay, so Jesus after he had come back to life, he had been hanging out with the disciples for 40 days, more or less. He was teaching them the last little bit of stuff he needed to teach them, and then giving them some parting instructions for when he had to leave. It's kind of like the parent as they're getting ready to leave for an evening or leave for the day, giving instructions to their kids. You know, don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, although that doesn't really apply anymore, does it? You know, there's no, I don't have a home phone or a landline, so it, but you know, don't, don't go anywhere, don't light anything on fire, don't cook anything, you know, just behave, all right? <laughs> so it's kind of what Jesus is doing is he's spending these 40 days teaching him these, teaching the disciples and the follow, his followers these last few things he wants them to get before he goes. And we read about it in the first set of scriptures here in Acts, and they're in your handout. It's Acts 1, start, starting, Acts 1, starting in verse 4, 
going through verse 11. And it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And I want to pause just a second. So, yes, that's okay. You're okay. I want to pause just a second here. These disciples and followers of Jesus had just spent three years with him, listening to everything he said, watching him heal the sick and raise the dead, and even watched him be crucified on a cross and be resurrected from the dead. And they're hanging out with him after he came back. And all they can think to ask, is him, ask of him is, now are you going to strike down the Romans and put us back into power? I mean, I, I can think of a lot of other things that I would probably want to ask Jesus. Well, I'd like to think I would want to ask him. But this is what they're asking him. And, and I can't help but think that maybe, maybe, they still don't get it, <laughs> right? So that was, just, that was just a little sidebar. That part's for free. So, but, so <laughs> let's go back to reading the, the scriptures. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So the disciples here are instructed to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the gift that Jesus had told them they could expect. This gift, he called him the comforter. Um, the, uh, there's other names he gave him, but basically it's the Holy Spirit. Not basically, it is the Holy Spirit. That was the gift that they were expecting to receive. And as I mentioned a minute ago, they're still waiting for Jesus, the Messiah, that they thought he was going to be, to overthrow Rome and put them back into positions of power and authority like they thought they deserved. But Jesus' mission was never to do any of that. It was to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in the here and now, and that kingdom looked very, very different than what they thought it was going to look like. They were expecting to be the ones in power very soon once Jesus reestablished them in their rightful places. But what does Jesus say? In verse 8, he says that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. And then they would, what? Rule? No. They would be witnesses to who Jesus is to people everywhere. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Nowhere in any of these scriptures does Jesus say anything about ruling over people, did he? And I can't help but picture the disciples kind of scratching their heads like, what is he even talking about? What does he mean that we're going to receive power, but then we're going to be witnesses? But the power Jesus was talking about wasn't an earthly power. We, as humans, as broken humans, really, as fallen humans, we crave power, do we not? We want to have power in different places. We want to have control. We want to have authority. In, in, we see that in our politics. We see that in, in our government. We see that sometimes in our families. Sometimes we even see it in churches, do we not? Ooh. Not here, right? Not here. But it can happen because as humans, in our brokenness, we crave this, okay? But the power that Jesus is talking about here is not an earthly power. It's the same power that healed all the people that Jesus healed. It's the same power that, that um, allowed him to go to the cross and willingly suffer and die so that we could be redeemed from sin, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead mere days after he died. It would be the power that 
they would have to declare to that they would have to declare to the world who Jesus is and what he came to earth to do. And you know what? We have that same power available to us today, right now, when we receive the Holy Spirit. So they hear all these last words that Jesus has, and then, then he's taken up into a cloud while they're standing there watching. And, you know, sometimes when I read stuff like this, well, not sometimes, probably all the time, I have these strange pictures that pop into my head. And I imagine them all standing around, and Jesus is standing there with them, and he has said, you know, all these things, and then all of a sudden he just starts floating up into a cloud. And they're just standing there. <laughs> they're, they're, they just stand there. You know, sometimes I'd like to think I would do things differently, or I would behave differently than they did, but I'm afraid I probably wouldn't. But isn't that kind of a weird thing for us to think that all of a sudden he just floated away? Um, and it's not, in the, it's not in your handout, but the next verse says, the apostles then went back to Jerusalem and went to the upstairs room of the place where they were staying. Like it was no big deal. Like it's perfectly normal to watch people float away on a cloud, right? And I hope I'm not the only one that finds that weird. Maybe a little funny, you know. But the rest of, the, of chapter 1 deals with finding someone to replace Judas. We're not going to read it. But they do um, re find someone to replace Judas as one of the 12 disciples. And it ends up being a guy named Matthias. Now, that's really not that important to what we're doing today, but that could really help you out like on a trivia night. I, maybe not. Um, it's just a handy little tidbit, I, you know. But moving to, to chapter 2, I'm a fountain of useless information, folks. Trust me. Um, but moving on to chapter 2, we find the believers, and this would include the apostles and all the followers of Jesus, meeting together on the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. So let's read that together, starting in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So now for the last ten days or so, since Jesus floated up into a cloud... They had been meeting and eating and praying together as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. But this day would be different. Because this day, as they were all together, and the Bible even says that they were unified in prayer. Okay? This day, while they were together, they heard a sound like a mighty roaring windstorm. Now, here in Indiana, we know what that sounds like, don't we? I kind of picture it, again, things in my head. It would be frightening if you guys could really see all that goes on up here. But I, I think of the sound, that, uh, the freight train sound before a tornado. You know, kind of that kind of a sound is how I imagine it. But this mighty, roaring windstorm came through, and the sound filled the place where they were. And what looked like fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, I really appreciated that the Bible Project guys taught me something I'd never noticed before. And that is the symbolism of the wind and the fire in this, in this passage, in this, this event. And that it points us back to the time of the Exodus when, Jesus, or when God led the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, through the wilderness by a, a tower of wind by day and fire by night. It kind of brings that whole story back around full circle, doesn't it? Isn't that cool how God does that? <laughs> but when this occurs, everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, let's hold our place right there. Put your finger in that right there. I think people say put a pin in that for a minute. Okay. And we're going to read... Um, the next section, verses 5 through 13. And it says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. 
They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, eh, they're just drunk, that's all. <laughs> really? <laughs> and in this part of the story, the author, which is Luke, he gives an account of what happened when the Holy Spirit filled these followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. And you'll notice that when, when that happened, folks started speaking in languages they didn't know. It would kind of be like me standing up here speaking French when I've never learned French fluently. And I'm, trust me, I don't know French, not a, not a bit. I can say merci beaucoup, that's it. So, um, but something miraculous had definitely occurred and I know I know it can be tempting to sit in this spot today and discuss the gifting of languages the Holy Spirit gives, but I don't, I don't believe that that's the focus that God has for us this morning. But before we move on, I want to share one story with you that I experienced pertaining to these two verses, verses 7 and 8, where it says, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. So for those of you who may not know, we host exchange students, our family does. We've been hosting students for 26 years. We have one with us now. Sorry, Hugo. <laughs> and, but in January of 2000, we welcomed our first boy Brazilian school attending exchange student. Up until that point, we'd only hosted girls and only for like a month or two at a time. And his name was Francisco. And apparently God had been chasing after Francisco for a while. The day he arrived was a Sunday, and because we didn't know any better, <laughs> we told him, okay, we're going to church, so you need to shower and change clothes and so we can get going. <laughs> Poor guy. He had flown all night. He was exhausted. He didn't know to say no. He didn't really understand what was going on yet, so he's like, okay. So he took a shower, changed his clothes, and we went to church. That Sunday, not much really happened, and I really, we didn't know him yet. I didn't know his story at all. But the next Sunday, however... He sat next to me in service, and I could sense that the Holy Spirit was doing something here. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you know the Holy Spirit is just powerful in that place and in that moment. It was, it was, it was so powerful, I almost, almost scooted over a little just in case. You know, it was that powerful. And I didn't know what was happening, I didn't, but I just, I prayed, you know, and I just kind of stayed where I was and, you know, kind of went with it. But then on the way home that afternoon from church, Francisco asked me something that was really strange. And he said, he asked me, was the pastor preaching in Portuguese this morning? He said, I said, no, he has an Oklahoma accent, but it doesn't sound anything like Portuguese. <laughs> but then Francisco told me that in the service, while the pastor was preaching, and now he had decent English, but you had to speak slowly, and you couldn't use like, you know, slang or colloquialisms. You had to, you had to really, really kind of explain things for him still. Not, not for long, but at that point. But he said while the pastor was preaching, he heard and understood every single word as if he had been speaking in Portuguese. He understood it as if the pastor had been preaching his native language. Now I knew why I had been sensing the Holy Spirit so strongly the mor that, that morning. And that's when Francisco started to share with me his story of growing up in church but running from God. And then the next Sunday it happened again. <laughs> and again, I almost wanted to scooch over just a little bit because I knew the Holy Spirit was dealing with him in a very powerful way. But that was the Sunday, that was the day Francisco repented of his sins and began following Jesus with all his heart. And he still follows Jesus today. 
And I, I wanted to share that story to illustrate that the gift of speaking in other languages, it can be a gift of speaking, but it can also be the gift of hearing the message that God wants heard. Either way, it's all about the message of God's love and Jesus' redemptive work on the cross being heard and understood by those who need to hear it. Now, we could spend the rest of, we could spend the rest of this month, <laughs> not just this morning, but this month here in these verses, but I do want to move on to the next section. So we left off with the crowd saying that these Jesus followers, these crazy Jesus people, were drunk. In their minds, nothing else could explain really what was happening, but Peter and the other 11 disciples step up, and Peter starts shouting. Leave it to Peter to be the loudmouth, right? <laughs> but in a nutshell, P Peter explains that none of them are drunk. I mean, it was only 9 o'clock in the morning for crying out loud. And he tells them that what they were witnessing was told by the prophet Joel a very long time ago. This is what Peter quotes from the book of Joel, um, and it's in your handout, starting with verse 17. It says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, from there, Peter preaches a powerful message. I encourage you to read it. It's powerful, but he's explaining who Jesus is and what he came to do. And it says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they were affected in, in what might be described even as a supernatural way. Their question to all that Peter preaches is, what then shall we do? Now, it's not in your handouts, and I apologize, that's my fault. But Peter answers their question with this in verses in 38 and 39. It says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now by the time Peter was done preaching this amazing, powerful sermon, about 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day. Those were some Busy apostles, were they not? <laughs> if 3,000 people were baptized, that means those 12 disciples baptized about 250 people each that day. And we think we're tired at the end of a day of work, right? That's a whole lot of people that believed and became followers of Jesus in one day from one sermon. And honestly, I have no aspirations of ever preaching to a crowd that big that that many people would respond to all at once. That's huge, huge. 3,000 people in one, at one, one sermon, one service. That's all it took. Now, as great as big spiritual movements are, I mean, we saw one this last February down at Asbury College, didn't we? <clears throat> it's important to look at what comes next after those movements. And in verses 42 to 47, Luke tells us what came next. He tells us what happened. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now many people have looked at this this. These events, this time period, is the birth of the church. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Even though the Jewish believers still went to the temple daily and worshipped in the temple, they were also gathering in, together in homes. 
They were gathering together and eating together, supporting each other, get, buying for those who were in need the things that they needed, and they worshiped God that way. Now, I've heard some churches say, oh, we're a New Testament church. And the sarcastic part of me, which rears its ugly head regularly, <laughs> um, it, it wants to say, really? Because whose house were you at eating at today, all of you? And what have you sold lately that you could help somebody out that needed something? But I don't say those things necessarily. Um, but I can't help but wonder what churches and communities would look like if we did a little bit more of that. And I can't help but believe that this is what the kingdom of heaven will look like. And that by cooperating with the Holy Spirit and doing what these folks did within our own context. Now our context is different than theirs was. We're not going to look exactly like they did, but I can't help but wonder what it would look like in our context if we did some of the things with the power of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the potential that would have to radically impact our world today. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. How would that even be possible, though? We're not apostles, are we? Right? We're just regular folks trying to figure out this faith stuff ourselves. Except that Jesus said we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we would be his witnesses. That, that's it. <laughs> And Peter told the crowds that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they repented of their sins, turned to God, and were baptized. So if you have repented of your sins and turned to God and even been baptized, you've received the Holy Spirit. Maybe not with wind and a tongue of fire, but you have received the Holy Spirit. I, I jokingly call it a three-for-one deal. <laughs> I, thank you for laughing. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's a three-for-one deal. If you receive Jesus and you turn to God, you get the Holy Spirit. Yeah, buy one, get three free. Right. Um, or buy one, get two free, and you've got three all together. So you have that, the Holy Spirit. You have the power to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and anywhere and everywhere else. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead makes you his witness. Not necessarily a witness to some far-off eternity to heaven, although that's a perk. I'm, I'm not opposed to that, to being in heaven for eternity. I think that's awesome. But we are witnesses to the kingdom of heaven in the here and now, right where we live right where we are, right where we have relationships and families and co-workers, that's where we bring the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean right now, today, in this moment? Well, I believe that each of us has the opportunity this morning. If you've never done so, to do what people, people, Peter tells the people in Jerusalem what they needed to do, and that is to repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And as we prepare to receive the elements of communion this morning, this is a great time to do just that, to repent and turn to God, follow him. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity this morning. We thank you for this power that only comes by, from you by the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have given each of us as believers, as followers of you, who have turned from our sin and turned to you and have made the decision to follow you, Lord. We thank you that we have the power to be your witnesses. We thank you that as we cooperate with you, Lord, that we can help bring the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. Lord, what, what an awesome thing, and yet what a great responsibility that you have given us. 
Thank you for the power that you give us to do exactly that because apart from you, we cannot. And I pray this morning, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does need to repent to you of the, the things they've done or left undone, Lord, in obedience or in disobedience, Lord, I pray that, you would, that they would find your grace and your forgiveness in that. Lord, give them your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to turn away from the life they've been living and turn and follow you. And then to exist and work and move and breathe and eat and, and just be in the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. Lord, I thank you for your table this morning that you've invited us here to partake of the bread and the cup. Bless these elements, Lord, as we are reminded of your sacrificial, redemptive work on the cross, of your breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood for us this morning so that we can be redeemed and we can know your grace even now. Lord, we do praise you and thank you and give you all the glory for all that you are doing in this moment through your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in your name. Now join me, if you will, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Doug and Mary are going to come back and share again with us in music. And as they do, you are invited, you are welcome to come to the table this morning. We have um, some pita bread that you can take and dip it into the cup. We do have gluten-free wafers, and if you'd rather not dip, we do have um, individual elements you can take. If you are not comfortable coming forward, um, we do have elements on the table, and please feel free to partake of the table this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that we receive at your table this morning. We thank you for each person that has been here this morning, either in this room or online that has joined us, Lord. I pray that the, the words that you gave me to give, Lord, will teach us, will admonish us, will convict us, will work into us, Lord, and bring us to a, a deeper knowledge of who you are and your mission that you have for each and every one of us. We give you all the praise and glory for all you are already doing, Lord. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is new, so I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may, be, you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.